Now, it was great hearing you all talking about something that you've been excitedly waiting for. I would love to hear some of the things that you were sharing with each other. So if you would be happy to say, here's something that I've been waiting for, pop your hand up and Amy is going to come... Amy's going to come round and hear from you about what you've been waiting for or what maybe you're waiting for a little while ago. Olive harvest. What the was olive, that? The olive harvest, that was. Oh, olive harvest. Excellent. Anyone else waiting for something that you shared with someone? Meeting up with family at Easter time. Ah, lovely. There's one down the front here, Amy. Well, I'm going to go watch a movie with some of my friends um, right before the holidays, so that's quite nice. Excellent. Anyone else, something they have waited for or that they're waiting for now they want to share? Anyone down the front? One last one, maybe maybe two last ones. Going on holidays. Holidays. They're great to wait for, aren't they? Anyone else? My birthday. Ah. <laughs> All right, okay. Well, there's lots of things that we like waiting for, aren't there? I wanted to share with you one of my stories of waiting. This is a waiting story that happened a long, long time ago. And this was when Brian and I were dating. We'd been dating for about 14 months and we were both about to go away on a holiday, two separate holidays uh, with different sets of friends. And Brian said to me, I think when we come back from our holidays, we should have a chat about us. And I went, okay, sure. I didn't know what that would look like, but I agreed with him, and so we went on our holidays. But that really kind of changed my holiday. It was still a lovely holiday, but over those two weeks, I was kind of waiting and wondering, what would this conversation look like? I was kind of hoping that we would get engaged, but I didn't really know what Brian was thinking. And so after that two weeks of waiting on my holiday, we came back, and the first week we were back, Brian said, how about we go out for dinner on Friday night? So I thought, oh, that's a good sign. And I kept waiting, and he picked me up at my house on Friday night, and I lived in the inner west in Sydney, quite close to the city, and we drove off towards the city, and Brian was kind of a bit vague, a bit preoccupied, he was driving kind of slowly, I didn't really know what was happening. And my phone rang, it was my friend Christy, so I picked up and Christy said, hey, me and Mike, her husband, we're outside your place waiting to have dinner together. And we'd had a mix up over dates, I thought they were coming the following Friday, they were there this Friday. So I put Christy on mute and I said to Brian, what will we do, Christy and Mike are at our place. And Brian was instantly enthusiastic, fantastic, let's go have dinner with Christy and Mike. And I kind of went, ah. Oh. <laughs> Clearly he hadn't booked some amazing restaurant for a romantic proposal. So we went back and we had a really nice night with Christy and Mike. So I kept waiting. Then early the next week, Brian rang me and said, how about we go out for dinner on Friday night? <laughs> This time he said, let's go to Doyle's Seafood Restaurant at Watson Bay, Watson's Bay on Sydney Harbour. Kind of thought this sounded a little more hopeful and it was, which was great. So that's one of my stories of waiting. When we are waiting for something 
it can sometimes be exciting, like waiting for school holidays. Sometimes waiting can be a bit confusing, like it was for me, waiting to find out what Brian was thinking. Sometimes waiting can be difficult. Sometimes we're waiting for something that we don't actually want to happen. Sometimes uh, we're waiting for exams, we feel a bit nervous. So waiting can carry with it all sorts of different emotions. This morning, I want to talk a little bit about a time when God's people, Israel, were waiting. And I think for them, mostly the waiting was a bit confusing and a little bit challenging. I want to give us a little bit of context. So some of the kids might recognise this slide from Kids Church. Yes, fantastic. So I'm just going to tell us a little bit of this story from Israel's history. So the, the history of God's people peaked under King David and King Solomon. That was the, the greatest time in Israel's history. But after Solomon, things went downhill. So after Solomon, Israel split into the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom. Then the Northern Kingdom went into exile. Then the Southern Kingdom went into exile. You can see that on the slide there with the two crowns and then the exile to Assyria, the exile to Babylon. Then they did come back. The southern kingdom came back to Jerusalem under Persia, but there wasn't any great king. Israel never went back to being the great nation that it had been under King David or King Solomon. Now you can see there on the slide, Jesus was born hundreds of years later at the beginning of the first century. And at that time, Judea was part of the Roman Empire. So they didn't have their own king. They had a big Roman emperor who was ruling over them. That was Caesar Augustus when Jesus was born. And under the emperor, there were also governors over Judea. And Pontius Pilate was that governor when Jesus was an adult. But Israel still wasn't an independent nation. It didn't have a king. And that's why God's people were waiting, because there were promises of a great king for God's people in the Old Testament. I want to read one of those promises now. Maybe you've heard this promise before. This is from Zechariah chapter 9. Rejoice greatly. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He will proclaim peace to the nations. So God had promised his people a good king, a humble king, but a victorious king who would bring peace and rule everywhere. So God's people waited for hundreds of years for this amazing king. That's what they were still waiting for when Jesus was born. They were waiting for this king. Did did somebody say king? Oh, hi, Nat. How you doing? Ah, hi, Melvis. Uh, Fancy seeing you here. Yeah, well, you know, when someone says king, I appear. Mm -mm, Because I (laughs) am the king of rock and roll. Yes, sirree. That's really great, Melvis. I know that you're the king of rock and roll, but I, I actually wasn't talking about you. Not talking about me? What are you talking about? Who else could it be? Well, hey, let, let me just show you. 
Well, it's one for the money, it's two for the show, it's three to get ready, now go, cat, go. Elvis, that's, that's really great. Don't be offended, you don't have to convince me. We all know you're the great king of rock and roll, right? Yeah. But I was actually talking about a really different kind of king, Melvis. A different kind of king? Yeah, we were about to hear a bit more about this king when you popped in. Do you, do you want to listen? Well, uh, I've never even considered another king. <laughs> never. No, that's just blown away. Oh. <laughs> well, I have to pick that up later. <laughs> All right, well, how, how about... Here, so I guess I can, I can listen. Okay, all right. Thanks, Melvis. Thanks for giving it a go. So Christian's going to come and read for us now, and we're going to hear a little bit about this other king. Today's reading is from Mark 11, verse 1 to 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the coat to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches, branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. Thanks, Christian. So, oh yeah, great. Great reading, by the way. <laughs> Fantastic, Christian. But, Matt. Yeah, Melvis. Where was the king? You know, you said there was going to be something in the reading about a king. Sure, sure. All I heard was stuff about Jesus and his band of, called the Disciples, and Jesus riding the donkey into Jerusalem. Sure, sure. Are you sure he was reading the right bit? <laughs> and then there's all these branches on the, from the field, and they're spread out too. Sounds like a safety hazard to me. <laughs> Do that around here, and you'll be hearing from the property warden. Then to top it off, people yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna. But Nat, where was the king? Look, Melvis, you were listening really well. And all that stuff that you said is kind of how we know there was a king there. What? What do you mean? What? No one ever drops jackets or branches on the ground when I arrive. <laughs> no one ever calls out Hosanna either. <laughs> Maybe I should be asking them to. <laughs> Yeah, Melvis, I'm not surprised that people don't call out Hosanna and that they don't wear, wear, uh, wave palm branches when you arrive. But Melvis, can you tell me what happens when you do arrive somewhere? Oh, it's a big deal. <laughs> when the king of rock and roll comes to town, it's all limos and expensive <laughs> hotels. The red carpet, it's totally rolled out. And I pay for nothing. <laughs> uh, I walk down the street, 
and people just start screaming, it's Melvis, it's Melvis. And people, some people faint, others try and get their photo with me. I'm signing autographs all over the place. It, it, it was a bit like today. Did you, did you see the red carpet there? Yeah, I, I did see it, Melvis. And wow, that sounds amazing when you arrive somewhere. How does that all feel? It's totally incredible being me. <laughs> People treat me like a king, because I am the king of rock and roll. Mm -mm. That's, that's all really great, Melvis, but I feel like we could be getting a little off track here. So um, let's pull it in a little bit, why don't we? Um, you know, all the stuff we heard about in the Bible reading, so the palm branches and the crowd cheering the cult. and the cloaks, all of those were kind of a first century Jewish way of welcoming someone important. Well, that sounds a bit crazy to me. Yeah, well, let me give you some examples, Melvis. So before Jesus, there was this king called King Jehu. Weird name, right? But when Jehu was made king, all the people threw their jackets on the stairs where he was standing. And about 150 years before Jesus, there was a, a, a victorious king who came back into Jerusalem and the people were waving palm branches and cheering. And that became their way of welcoming back a victorious king into Jerusalem. So those were kind of little signs that this was someone important. Now, I don't know if you were listening before you popped in, Melvis, but we also had that reading from, or I talked about a verse from Zechariah 9. Let me read it for you again. There's this promise there. Your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This one's a little bit trickier. A, a colt doesn't really look like something a king would ride, right? No. But if, if the Jews knew their Old Testament, this, this promise would have been in their minds that a king would come riding on a colt. And as we read the Bible, as we read Mark and the other Gospels, we're meant to put all these pieces of the puzzle together and see this is someone really important. This is a king riding into Jerusalem, Melvis. So, so even if someone didn't know who I was, Nat, sure. and I don't actually think that, that no one knows who no, I am. No, sure, Melvis. Right? Yeah. <laughs> that even if, just let's say, that someone didn't know who I was. Sure. If they saw me riding anywhere and they saw the red carpet, then they would know that this is the king of rock and roll. That's it, Melvis. So you're saying when we hear about Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey yep. and the cloaks and the palm branches and shouting, yep. we're supposed to think king? That's it, Melvis. You've got it. As we hear this story, we're meant to put all those pieces of the puzzle together and think, here is a king. Here is King Jesus riding into Jerusalem. The king that had been promised years and years and years and years before was finally here. The waiting was over for God's people. Well, this puppet's mind is officially blown. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure whether I'm thinking that or saying that. But anyway, there's this, you're saying that if it's a donkey, I'm supposed to think limo. That's if there's it. palm branches, then it's coats on the ground, that equals red carpet. That's it, Melvis, you've got well, it. Well, Jesus really is a king. Yay. This is 
This is so great to understand. <laughs> so great. Thank you, Nat. I can't thank you enough. I'm thank glad, you very much. I'm glad you were here, Melvis. Well, you know what? I better get going. The limo is out the front. <laughs> Take me to my next show. So I'll be seeing you. Bye now. All right. See you, Melvis. Bye. Melvis has left the building. Well, we all know who Melvis is, don't we? But sometimes it can be really tricky to recognise famous people. I don't know what you're like at pop culture. I'm the one in my family who's hopeless at this. I'm forever saying, who is that person? What do they do? And Brian and Toby can usually tell me. But now we're going to have a little bit of a quiz. So I have 10 slides that we're going to put up slowly, one by one. And you are going to get a chance to look at the slide. Don't call out for a couple of seconds. Then I'll ask if anyone knows who it is. You can put up your hand and Amy, oh no, you can just call out who it is. We're going to yell really loudly and I want you to score yourself. So we're going to see who gets 10 out of 10. I would not have got 10 out of 10. I needed Amy to help me with some famous people for this one. So we're going to have our slides come up. Here's the first one. Okay, think. Yes. Bluey, okay, give yourself one if you got Bluey right. Well done. Next slide. Okay, anybody? All right, okay, well done. Score that one if you got it. Next slide. Anybody? Okay, thank you. Well done. Yep, Anthony Albanese. Okay. Yes. Peppa Pig, all right. What about this one? Anthony, but first the original Blue Wiggle. Okay, next slide. All right, I heard it down the front. I'm impressed. You guys are all better at this than I am. <laughs> all right, nicely done. Next slide. Mandela, thank you. Well done. Okay. All right. Sit for a bit with it to give people time to think. Yes, Grogu. I had no idea about this one. Next slide. Who's that one? Someone yell out. Queen Elizabeth II. All right. Okay, I think that's 10 slides. Did anyone get at least two out of 10? Hands up if you got at least two out of 10. Five out of 10. Nine out of 10. 10 out of 10. All right, well done. That is very impressive. Now, the last photo there was Queen Elizabeth II. She didn't really look particularly like a queen in that photo. Sometimes it can be hard to recognise royalty. Sometimes it can be hard to recognise someone important. And sometimes it can be hard to know who they actually are, to understand what they actually do. So remember, we've been hearing that when Jesus was around, the Jews were waiting for a king to come. But what kind of king were they waiting for? Lots of the Jews were waiting for a king to come and liberate the people, a king who would bring a political victory, a military victory for them. And on that Palm Sunday, the crowd, the crowd saw something in Jesus as he came into Jerusalem. They recognised someone special was here. Maybe he was a king. But was he really a king? That's a question for us to think about. And if he was, what kind of king was he? 
We might have questions like that. We might have friends and family members who have questions about who Jesus is. If we claim that he's a king, what does that mean for us? Those are really good questions. So we're going to go back and look at a few verses in Mark's gospel that help us with them. So first of all, when Jesus started preaching and teaching, this is one thing that he said in Mark chapter 1. Jesus said, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. So right from the beginning, Jesus was talking about a kingdom. That's what his message was for three years, that God's kingdom was coming near. But that leaves us with another question about how did Jesus fit in with this kingdom? In the first century, there was lots of confusion about who Jesus was. He didn't fit any categories, but Jesus didn't want his disciples to be confused. So he asked them who they thought he was. And this is what Peter said. Well, this is what the disciples said. Jesus asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he said, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Now that word Messiah is a bit of an odd word and here it means king. So Peter was saying, Jesus, you are the king. You are God's long awaited king. But it's still a bit confusing, isn't it? Because we read in the Bible that Jesus died on the cross. That's not what people would have been expecting to happen if Jesus was a king, especially not if he was a king who would save his people. But right after Peter said this, right after Peter said, Jesus, you're the king, Jesus told them what kind of king he was. Verse 31, he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Jesus was actually a king on a quest. He, had, he was a king with a battle plan, but he wasn't a military king. His battle plan wasn't to liberate Israel politically. His battle was against sin and death. That's why he needed to die. That's why he was going to die on the cross. And even when Jesus is hanging on the cross, Mark tells us that he is the king. Jesus is hanging on the cross. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. They were really making fun of Jesus by putting that sign there. But actually, it was true. Jesus, the king of the Jews. Jesus is a king who died. But he's also much more than that. He's a king who came alive again. This verse from Ephesians 1 tells us that God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and God placed all things under his feet. So we see there that Jesus is alive right now, that Jesus is the king right now, that he is the king over heaven and earth, over everything and over everyone. He is ruling over our whole world. But I want to think a little bit now about what does it look like for Jesus to be the king in our lives? What should we expect 
if we live with Jesus as our king. And I want to say two things about that. The first is that Jesus the king calls for our allegiance, for our loyalty, for us to want to stick with him through thick and thin. So you remember at the beginning of Mark's gospel, Jesus came announcing the kingdom. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. And right after that, he called for our loyalty, our allegiance. Repent and believe the good news. Now, I said earlier that Jesus is a king whose battle is against sin and death. The Bible says we all sin. It's not a very common word. I heard someone the other day say that sin is about leaving God out of the picture. I think that's a really helpful explanation. Sin is about leaving King Jesus out of our lives. And we've all done that at different times. But repenting is about changing that and saying to Jesus, I want you to be in my life. I want to stick with you as my king in my life. So living with Jesus as our king means giving him our allegiance, giving him our loyalty. And then the second thing that living with Jesus as our king means is joining him on his mission. I hope you've had a chance to look at some of our artworks. If you haven't, please do after this morning. But one of them is really helpful in this respect. It's, it's along the corridor here. And it's an artwork called The Road to the Cross that Josie has painted for us. And this is what she wrote. Jesus lived his whole life with a mission. He was going to save people from their sin by dying on the cross. Jesus lived his life on the road to the cross. That's such a beautiful sentence. And it's true, Jesus lived his life on the road to the cross. And now he calls us to join him on the road from the cross. Mark chapter eight, Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. The risen King Jesus is still on a mission. He is on a mission to bring his kingdom in this world through his people, through us. One day that kingdom will come in all its fullness and glory when Jesus returns. But right now, Joining Jesus on the road from the cross, joining him on his mission means taking up our cross and following him. I want to tell you a story about a famous explorer you might have heard of called Ernest Shackleton. He was an Antarctic explorer in the early 1900s. And it's said that he put an, an ad in the newspaper when he was starting out on one of his expeditions. So it says, men wanted for a hazardous journey small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful, that's a kind of, you know, uh, the high point of the ad, honour and recognition in case of success. Who would sign up for that? Uh, I thought there'd be a few. <laughs> I'm not up for that challenge. But if Shackleton really did place this ad, he kind of made it really clear, didn't he, what people would be facing, what the hardships were. He put it all there 
right up front. And the same is true for Jesus the King. He calls us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross. He calls us to lose our life for him. But that's not the whole picture. The ending, if we join Jesus on his mission, is really different to that. As we lose our life for Jesus and the gospel, he says, you will save your life. Losing our life for Jesus is about letting him be king, giving him the place in our lives where he shapes who we are and how we live. And in doing that, we save our life now and forever. So as we join Jesus on this road from the cross, I want to think about three ways that we can do that. First of all, we can join Jesus in taking up our cross on this road in who we are. Now, I want you to imagine something. I want you to imagine if you're someone who's at school, that you've been having trouble with your friends. Your friends are being really mean to you. Maybe they're not talking to you. Maybe they've kicked you out of your group. Maybe they're telling lies about you. Or if you're an adult, imagine you're having trouble with a family member or with a work colleague where they're making life really difficult for you and you have a broken relationship with them. So hold that in your mind. If you don't have an actual situation, imagine what that might be like for you. This is what it looks like to take up our cross with Jesus on the road. I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. So we take up our cross by not retaliating against people who are like that with us. Matthew 5, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We might pray for that other person. Ephesians 4, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. We might work hard at forgiving that other person. None of this is easy. You don't just do it overnight. You have to work on it, pray about it, talk to other people about it. But how would it look like? What would it look like in our families, in our workplaces, with our friends, if we lived like this? We would bring a little bit of God's kingdom into their lives. We take up our cross and follow King Jesus in who we are. Secondly, we can take up our cross and follow King Jesus in what we say. 1 Peter chapter 3. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. That is, give King Jesus your allegiance. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. Doesn't mean we need to have all the answers about what we believe, but imagine that person, imagine your work colleague said to you, why didn't you uh, snap back at me when I was really rude to you in that meeting the other day? You might say, because... I know Jesus loves you. I don't know what you'd say, but you might say something like that. You would have an answer to give about why you behave the way you do. We can take up our cross and follow Jesus in who we are. We can take up our cross and follow Jesus in what we say. And thirdly, we can take up our cross and follow Jesus in the way that we wait. Revelation 22, the last chapter of the Bible, tells us that when Jesus returns, we will see the throne of God and of the Lamb. Jesus will be declared as king for everybody, 
everybody to see. Until then, we journey on this road from the cross, waiting for Jesus to be declared as King of all. And the road sometimes is really challenging, isn't it? When we have those breakdowns in relationships, we find that really hard. It hurts. It's painful. Not everyone recognises Jesus as king. Most people aren't living kingdom-shaped lives. And it's hard to keep dying to self-interest, to keep taking up our cross. John Dixon is a Christian author and speaker, and he's thought about this a lot. As we journey with Jesus on the road from the cross, John Dixon talks about the need to have cheerful confidence as we walk this road. We can be cheerful and confident because we know Jesus is the king. He also talks about the need to have cheerful humility to lose well. When our path crosses that of our culture, sometimes there's just a clash. We don't have to win every battle. We can have cheerful humility to lose well. Jesus calls us to treat other people well, to love them, no matter how we are being treated. We know that Jesus is king, so we don't need to worry about winning every battle. What's really important is who we are on this mission, what we say, and how we wait. So let me encourage each of us to take up our cross and follow Jesus in those ways. When Ernest Shackleton was recruiting for his Antarctic expedition, he received 5,000 applications. I can't believe it, 5,000 applications. Even though he was really upfront about how difficult that expedition was going to be. Jesus calls us to a way better mission. He calls us to take up our cross and follow him on the road. Sometimes the journey is hazardous, humanly speaking. But on this journey, the end is sure. Jesus is the king. Jesus is building his kingdom. We can be part of the biggest mission in the history of the world while we wait for Jesus to return. And then we know that we will be with him forever and all the hard things will be gone. So let me encourage you to join Jesus on this road from the cross.